If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the 33rd Psalm. Psalm 33. For the rest of the summer, I believe I'm going to uh, do some uh, sermons in the Psalms. We've already looked this summer at Psalm 19, uh, which is all about creation and God's Word. We we did two sermons on that. Uh, But I'm going to do 33 today. And then probably 34 next week. Um, Both of them are by David. And then probably skip around the Psalter. There's 150 psalms, but then maybe do groups of two. So we'll we'll see what the rest of the summer has for that. But I I chose this one kind of as my first one, um, one of my very favorites. And it's on uh, rejoicing. It's on praise which I don't believe that I still understand correctly. It's a church word. I know that we use it. I know what praise the Lord means. I know when my heart has felt like praise the Lord. But there is certain things required of us that are commanded and automatic, which are very interesting. And praise is one of them. And this entire psalm is a way to get God's people actively praise God. Okay, so we're going to see at the beginning, it tells us to praise God, gives us the command, tells us who's to do it, and then all throughout the middle, it gives us reasons for doing it. So we have all of the excellencies of perfections of God through the middle passage here, and then at the end, uh, from say 20 to 22, is the confident testimony of God's people towards God. So it's almost like building a floor and then a subfloor to stand on. And then once you're solid, praise is then automatic. It's something something that just comes from the heart of a child of God. So let's read uh, in Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with the psaltery and with the instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all of his works are done in truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depths in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations." Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven. He beholds all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any of them by his great strength. 
Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is dazzling to me. I, I just think it's, it's amazing. I see that when we see that the entire earth is commanded to stand in awe of God, but it's God's people that are commanded to praise God. I, I see that. It says it right at the beginning, rejoice in the, world, in the Lord. So the word rejoice is praise. And praise is, what is praise? Let's, let's kind of contrast those two words first before we start. To rejoice in a Brian definition. If Brian was going to give this definition, I wrote down, to rejoice is to waller around something in your mind of just how good something is. Okay, that's rejoicing. So it has the word joy in it, but it's a doing it joy. It's a joy done on purpose for some reason. And it's the idea of, of don't miss this. Okay? Don't miss it while your kids are little. Don't miss it. Don't miss the dinner that is only going to last 40 minutes. Don't miss it. while it's. Don't be thinking of the next thing. I'm the most guilty in the world. I'm, whatever I'm doing now, I'm missing because I'm thinking of the next thing that I'm supposed to do. And I miss my entire life. I have to on purpose say no. This is wonderful. So to joy or rejoice is the idea to, in your mind, in your heart, in your person, think about something, dredge it around like a jawbreaker, and think about just how good it is. That's rejoicing, okay? Praise is a little bit different. Praise is, I wrote down, shine. You shine out. I wrote, to be foolishly joyful, Okay, not silly, but the idea that you're you forget yourself. That's that's the idea of praise. It is something to where you're so happy, you're so enjoying something that automatically something happens. Okay, it's like sticking your finger in the socket and then that something just happens. It's something that happens that you are participating in. It's something that you are treasuring or enjoying or loving and you can forget the time so to praise god means that somehow the holy spirit has done something in your life different from what the holy spirit does not do in the lives of people who do not praise if you go through your life in a stagnant way where there is no enjoyment of god that you just go from the next step to the next thing required to the next thing required of you and you're not stopping to recognize that you're rich. You're richer than anything can imagine. God has given you himself. Other people just have houses and land. Okay? Other people just have things that can be stolen from them. You were given a treasure beyond all treasures. And it takes faith in order to know that you are the winner. It takes faith. You will not, and if you do not reteach the gospel to yourself continuously, that God gave you himself and that you're the winner, 
then you will whine that you don't have a pony like all the other kids who have ponies. You will think that you've got it bad, that your life is not good, that you work too hard, you get too little, and nobody likes you. Okay? You don't realize that God has put his love on you. He took his wrath away from you, and he put his love on you. And when you can see that, something happens spontaneously, like electrocution, that you can't control. You don't rev it up. Singing something 90 times doesn't rev you up enough to praise God. Okay? So you can lifelessly praise God in church. You can lifelessly praise God in your life. Or as the Holy Spirit is able to work, and I can quench the Spirit, I can make the Holy Spirit almost sound like he's silent in my life, to where I don't hear and I don't love God and I'm not even in love with him. I'm just going to the next thing, hoping to get by. I can, I can because of that, I can ruin the enjoyment that I should have. Oh my goodness, this hot roll is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Okay? So you wonder why you only have special things at special times. It's because you don't want special things all the time. I I really don't. Every woman in America wants a pumpkin spice latte about September or October. I've never wanted one in my whole life, but I, I think all women love them. I don't know why, but it's, it's, it's only available at a certain time because it's, you want it because that's when it's supposed to be. When you realize what God has done for you, when you realize who he is and that you're tied to him with bands of love, something happens automatically in your heart. Now, it's a commandment that hop, happens spontaneously. So why does God give us Psalm 33? It's to provoke us. It's to excite us, to excite you to it, all right? Psalm 33 is simply licking your finger so that when you put it in the the power box, stuff happens. That's all it is. Psalm 33 is to remind your soul. You remind your soul. Psalm 32, which is also by David, said, said, soul, remember that God has forgiven you. I tell my soul to trust in God, that God has forgiven you, that he, he loves to take people who at one time were very filthy and reward them as though they were clean. That's what God does. That's who God is. And David is telling his soul this. And it, you have to be told, your soul has to be told, Moment by moment, you'll forget. Okay? Have you ever been close to the fireplace and you're burned up on one side and frozen on the other side? And then you leave and you can't ever remember being warm because it's so cold. That is what the Bible is. To a believer, you can't take it or leave it. It can't be something that you revere because the cover is nice. It's not that I revere this and I never put magazines on the Bible, but I never read it. Do you see it? This is what reminds me of who God is and that I'm tied to him by love. When I know that, something automatically happens in my heart. It's electric. It comes out of me, but it's also commanded that I do it. All right? Do you see how interesting this is? So let's start with verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Okay? 
Now, if you saw verse 9, it said, Let the entire world and all the nations stand in gawked, drop-mouthed awe of God. Okay? Stand in awe. Know who he is. Let all the nations tremble and know. But it says, let the righteous ones, the ones that are dressed in the Lord Jesus, the ones that are presentable before a holy, holy, holy God, not because you're good, not because you've done things right or you've learned how to do things, but because Jesus is everything to you and your cleanness is his cleanness. You're accepted in his name. Those people praise God, rejoice in God. Take God in your mind, in your heart, and waller him around until you know how delightful he is. That's what you're to do. Because it says praise is comely for the upright. For a righteous person to praise is the most perfectly natural thing to happen. And it will have something to do with the nations. When we get to nine and those nations that will go to hell will still stand and adore God, before their destruction, they every knee will bow. It will happen. But it's something that doesn't, it will be commanded of them, but does not come spontaneously. The righteous ones are commanded to praise. It's, it's praise is comely. It's appropriate. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to God. I, there, there are many people that would, that would cry at the idea that we have worldwide, Churches so big with nobody in them that they don't know what to do with the buildings. Large cities are really bad for this. They don't know what to do with a building that can seat 4,000 people and has stained glass windows. They, they don't know the Tiffany windows are worth $15 million and the pipe organ is worth $30 million and they've got three old ladies that attend. What do you do? You can't even keep the heat on. So what is it that you do with that? So a, a lot of people will read, why we need to go back to the days when churches were filled. Well, I don't know that those days actually ever happened. I'm not positive. Um, uh, I pulled out a picture of the top of this church crowded with people at the Christmas, the Christmas play, 1950. Okay. There's probably 50 people on the platform up here, just crowded together. Now, I don't know who was watching it. They may have all been on the platform. I don't know. But you think, why can't that happen now? And you could pray, oh, God, there's people alive here that need you. Why can't the churches be filled? Why can't they sit under the gospel? But, and I pray for that. I pray for that today. But I would rather wait for the time when God brings people to himself that then gather in his name so that it's really praised. Because I promise you, if every politician and every uh, person who is vying for influence in this town or other towns in this country and other countries all were in church on Sunday with their, with their clean shirts, I don't think that God would listen. Do you see it? A person who has heart is dirty and wrong is blaspheming when they utter the name of Jesus Christ. When they sing, holy, holy, holy is God Almighty, but nothing in their heart is saying that's true and I'm enjoying it. Do you see it? So when you think of praise time as being our songs, why do Christians sing? Because we're good singers? No, we sing because it's an expression of a heart or not. You can 
sing flat and lifeless and without any praise. Or you can praise. Okay, so you can do both. So it says, verse 2, praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto him with psaltery, an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. So, trivia, this is the first time that you're instructed to use musical instruments. Okay? Why? It's, it's helping us to... It's helping us to do all the parts of us. It's our mind, it's our heart, it's our emotions, it's our spirit all together. And it's something that evokes an attitude. But it's still, God is either receiving worship from you or not. Okay? So verse 3, I think, is interesting. Sing unto him a new song. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. Now remember... Those of us who are righteous, this is what we're called to. We're called to praise God. We're called to praise God with our minds, our hearts, our spirits. We're to worship him in spirit and in truth. So this is now how, all right? So so use instruments, use your voice, use it all, whatever. Sing unto him a new song. Now, the reformers, when they would uh, write commentaries, I read one of them, this week, and one of the reformers said, it means like choice or rare, like a a perfect jewel that are different from other jewels, jewels that would have names, that you would name them, okay? It would be so precious that that would be a new song. It's not just singing along. It's not karaoke. It's the idea that you're taking something precious and giving it to God, reflecting something back to God, that it's a reflection back to God. All right. So singing to him a new song could be precious and, and rare. I, I would agree. I don't disagree. But in, we read in Revelation chapter 5 that the saints, the saints whose prayers are odors to God's, God's uh, nose, is singing a new song. That it's a, and the song is, you are worthy to receive power and honor and glory and blessing. You, Jesus Christ, what we were waiting for. You are everything. Do you see that's new? That's new. The idea that that all of our needs were met in Jesus Christ so that we are now right with God. It makes us know what to sing. It there's no Christian, there's no Christian that gets tired of Calvary. There's no Christian that gets tired of singing of the perfections of their God. No Christian ever. Tell me the old old story. Just tell me the old old story. Let's sing it again and again and again. I, I don't get tired of it. It's, it's breath. I don't get tired of air. I don't get tired of bacon. I don't get tired of the things that I love. I don't get tired. Do it again. Okay? Be nice to me again. I know you were nice to me yesterday. Be nice to me again. I like it all the time. I don't tire of the gospel. So when I think of the gospel and then I sing out the gospel... Do you see? David talked to his soul first. Soul, why are you disquieted in me? Hope in the Lord. Okay? Many think that Psalm 33 and 32 is really one psalm. That's why there's no introduction here. There's no title to Psalm 33. It's almost that it just continued out of the old thing. David said, 
Don't be hurt. Don't be disquieted. Praise God. He did everything for you. Now, at the end, in 33, here's all the reasons to praise him. These are the things that would cause a Christian to automatically do something. Okay? So, so let's look, look further. This is, this is what I picked from, from verses 4 through, say, 18 of the reasons why we're to praise God. Okay, so from 4 to 18, this whole middle section is talking about God. These are the things true of God, that as you know them, you delight in them. You waller them around in your mouth. You, you think about them. Your heart treasures them, and you enjoy it. it. It's something that you don't just have an opinion on, but that you're participating in the wonder of it. Okay, so I, I did want to mention skillfully, though, before I move on, I, I do want to say that skillfully. I have been to churches. When I went to college, I went to a large city, and I went to some churches, large churches probably had a huge um, annuity that they could buy anything that they wanted to, and choirs that were just spectacular. I mean, just beautiful as it could be. But I don't know that they were Christian people. Just because you sing skillfully, just because you play skillfully, okay, you could have you could have all of the great country music singers of, of the world get together and do a, an Amazing Grace album where every single person does Amazing Grace. And you, you're not sure that any of that's really praise. Maybe some of it is, but probably most of it is not. Just because you do it well, just because you play gorgeously, or just because you sing in tune, that is not what God is asking for. So for me to sing skillfully or to pray skillfully or to enjoy skillfully means that I'm doing whatever the best is, whatever my best is. I think that's so important. Whatever it is, it's done and it's, it is, says it's a new song. It's all about Christ. It's skillfully as best as I can. And it's with a loud voice. I'm doing it heartily. I'm doing it with a full heart. I'm I'm enjoying it. I am telling God who he is. I'm telling God who he is. I'm telling myself who God is, that I might enjoy that and participate in it. And as I do it, I fully participate in God's praise. And the nations that will one day tremble are impacted. That's how you will know. If there, are, if there is ever a, someone that comes in the room that, that doesn't know who the, the congregation is, it's, they're not impressed by the woodwork. They're not impressed by anything. They're not impressed by how, how things are done. They're impressed by the people's love for God. And as you praise, other people will see it. That's just the way it works. So let's go through this from verse 4. Why, what's the basis is what I wrote down. What's the basis of the exhortation? We're exhorted to praise. We're exhorted to praise skillfully and loudly with full voice, uh, employing all of our resources towards God. Why? Okay. This is verse 4. What does it say? For the word of the Lord is right, and all of his works are done in truth. Okay. We know about God because he has communicated to us. Everything that we need to know about God is here. It's not that we're in levels. 
so you're, you're inaugurated and then you get up into some more secret information and some other secret information. Eventually you know God. It doesn't that way at all. The simplest saint knows everything that God has to know all at once. He gives it to you. And it's sure. It's true. It's something that is settled. Do you see it? It's the covenant. It's that covenant that under that is the floor so that it does not matter. My emotions will tank. My love will ebb and flow. But that covenant that God has promised to be good for me forever is always there. That's what the scriptures do. That's why we praise God. We praise God for who he is and what he's done. That's why. And it's sure. Verse 5 says he loves righteousness and, he, and judgment. And the earth is full of his goodness. He loves righteousness. Those things that are consistent with God's character is he loves. God makes much of himself. The purpose of God is the glory of God. I don't know if that's ever occurred to you. The purpose of God, God's purpose, is to glorify himself. That's what God does. And that's what we do in him. When we are aligned to him, we do what he does. And that's make much of Jesus. We make much of grace. We make much of the righteousness of God. And as the Holy Spirit works in our life, we too, believe it or not, become righteous in our work. We, we live cleaner and cleaner and cleaner unto the dawning of the day, it says. And he, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Do you see? That's, we praise him. Look at 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Okay? So you go back to creation. You go back to Genesis. By the word of the Lord, he spoke. And it let there be, and it was. There's something just in that that tells me something about God that makes me want to praise God. God is a power that I can't understand. He didn't just work at something until it eventually happened. He simply spoke and it happened. Now, does that mean, I'm, I have no idea, does it mean that God actually uttered a, a sound? Who knows? I do not know. But what the word, let there be light, means is that he willed the creation to come into existence, and it did. In his mind, when his will was, I want this, it happened. And it happened instantly. It happened instantly. And as, as you read, as you, as you study, as you form your theology, all of us have slightly different theologies. I believe it was in six days. I believe six days passed, and everything was here. It was all here. And the evidences are everywhere. Now, every one of us, there's no, no one so old that you were not taught otherwise. Every one of us were taught that if you're going to be smart, you can't believe nonsense. Okay? But the Latin is ex nihilo, out of nothing. He created it with his will. He didn't make something and then use that something. He didn't make the Legos and then build a house with the Legos. He just spoke and it all happened. That's creative power and it's worth praising him for because that powerful God is now involved in my life. That God can save me in the ways I need rescued, the, the way I need protected. That is that God. I need a God that big. And it's for a, for a righteous person, that's comely. It's acceptable to praise God just for his creation. Okay? Look at 7. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays out the depths in storehouses. Picture here. I, sometimes the, the way it's worded, um, this, I'm reading from the King James Version, it's worded in a way that I'm not quite sure what it's saying. 
what it means is the ocean is in its, its ditch, and it stays there. That's what it means. God governs. He doesn't just make and let it go. He doesn't just make you and then let you go wherever you want to go. He governs everything. He is the governor of this world. He, he doesn't just govern, but he provides. He provides for everyone. The godless are provided for every day. There's grace, grace poured on the heads of these people who hate God. There's grace poured on, on the, the, the heads of those who love God. He cares for the birds. He cares for everything. There is nothing in his creation that he does not supervise and superintend. This is from Colossians chapter 1. For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. Everything is where it is together in him actively. He doesn't just create and then go away. He's not a watchmaker that ignores us. He's not disinterested. He's very involved. I praise God for that. This is the God who knows me. This is the God, Hagar said it, you God see me. It amazed her. She sat there with thinking she was going to die of thirst in a desert And she understood, you are seeing me right now. It dazzled her. It dazzles me. You, God, who created volcanoes and stars, are the same God that sees my whines and cares about me and doesn't despise me because I'm made out of mud. It's amazing. Hebrews 1 says, Who, also Jesus Christ, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. His power holds things together. He is the provider. He's the governor. That's worthy of our praise. He, when you think of providence, I don't have everything I want, so therefore God's not good to me. Oh, my goodness. No, don't give me what I want. I'm an idiot. God provides for me. He provides the good and the bad. And there are days when you think, how is this not bad? How is this not bad? How Nobody would think this was good. How could God be God and let me have a day like I had today? Oh, his providence is everything about his government and all things for those who love him will work to your good. All things. And he won't always tell us how it works and why it works. So there's lots of people scratching their heads and still believing in a God who is big enough to take care of them. And it's not just big enough. He's not just bigger than me. God is God, and there's no other adjective to describe him. His perfections are perfect. That's why they're perfections, and he is always the same. He is always the same. So look at verse 8. Let me read from 8 to 12 and kind of pull something from here. Let all the earth fear the Lord. All right, so this is now not just the righteous praising. Let everybody know that God is God. Let everybody. You want to you worship the mermaid statue? Do it. But know at the same time, God is God. Those Philistines who just worshiped the mermaid statue walked in procession behind the cart all the way to Israel to honor the God who is the creator of all things. Because all things will there will be a knee bow from everybody. So let the earth, 
Let every inhabitant of the word stand in awe of him. Why? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 is one of the strong verses in this, in this chapter. Why? For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He spake and it was done. Done means there is no further. It's finished. It was completed. What he said is finished. And it was stood fast. There, there is no toppling power. There is nobody. It's not a tug of war. Good and bad. Yin and yang. It's not. This is God and God. The devil is nothing. Nothing, nothing. The devil is for us. You may not believe that. The devil is for us. The devil is the rock I've lifted above my head to make me strong. The devil is, is a dog that God owns on a chain that God had never, is, never can be broken. Okay, so it says, it says it was done. He decided and it, he commanded and it stood fast. That's, that's a God worth praising. You praise that. You praise a God like that. It's something that will make you who you want to be. How you, why are you not what you want to be? Because you as a rich person are living like a poor person. Why? Because I'm not remembering. I'm not remembering who I am. This is reminding us. That's what the Bible is. It reminds us of our God. Verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the heathen to naught. He makes the devices of the people of none effect. So the same God that can do for his people is the same God that can frustrate and confound others. Do you see it? He's not, he, there's, nobody thwarts him. You, don't, you can't decide against him. You can't, all of the, all of the armies of the earth can get together against the Lord and his anointed. And the blood will be up to the bridles of the horses. They're, everybody together, standing arm in arm, will not prevail. God is that big. And he decides. And so the same mercy that's extended to his people is the same confounding power to the nations. Do the nations not act erratically? <laughs> people empowered that just do the, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm not that smart, but oh my goodness, think it through. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't, do we have anybody counseling you? These are the people who are making decisions, who are moving mountains. God's not thwarted. You can't upset him. It says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. He is attentive. He's sovereign. Total command of everything that goes on all the time. Nothing happens outside that he is not the boss of, completely the boss. And then look at the beneficiaries. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. When God who is this God, this God is your God, what do you have? What do you not think you have? How do you think you're poor? Christian you're rich. You don't know it. You haven't seen it. I has not seen, neither has it entered into the heart of man. That means me. It means I have no idea. I have no idea what, who God is. If God is my, it said the, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a good inheritance. God of heaven and earth is my inheritance. That's what he gave me. He gave me himself. What did he give me? And how long of eternity is going to last before I even know what that means? How many eons will pass before you have the first inkling of what God gave you in Jesus Christ? 
It will take eternity to expanding your mind and your heart to have any idea what you are in him. And when suddenly you're like, I, I can just see that, that first tingle of electricity as it pump, pumps through you. And then you're just like, oh, God, send it all. Send it, just let me see it all. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, oh, first of all, I love you for saying it. Secondly, you have no idea what you're just asking. I would annihilate you if I did that. So let me hide you in the cleft of a rock. And I'll pass by just the lift traces of my glory as it passes by. And it'll be more that'll make your face shine. So it says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen for his inheritance. What beneficiaries, what rich men's sons are we? Look at 13. The Lord looks from heaven, beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation, he looks upon the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their heart alike. He considers all their works. <clears throat> he looks down upon us. He looked down upon the Tower of Babel. I always thought it was funny. They built the, the stairway to heaven. Okay? The 25-minute guitar solo and all the way to heaven, they thought. And God stoops down to look upon their tower, which I just think is comedy. Beautiful. And it says, he looks upon all the inhabitants. He fashions their hearts. He considers all their works. See? He is lofty. He's on a throne. He is majestic. We praise God for his majesty. He's transcendent, yet imminent. He's close as right here. He's closer than a brother, but yet he's above all the universe. He fills it. He's sovereign. He's above it. 16. Oh, what an awesome 16 to 19. There is no king saved by the multitude of hosts. That's why the, the Hebrews were not supposed to number their troops. If God is not helping you, I don't care how many troops you have. It does not matter. When the Israelites fought with Ai, which is a little podunk town, it's not even a town, it's like a nothing town. 300 Israelites died. And they're like, are you serious? We lost none fighting Jericho, and suddenly we fight a nobody village, and we've got casualties? What's going on? It does not matter how many people you have. Either God is fighting for you or not. Either God built a house, or the laborers work in vain. That's what it says. So there's no king saved by his multitude. Look at, look at 17. Oh, a mighty man not delivered by much strength. You're a strong man, do you really think? The heart of the, look at Goliath. Was he a strong man? Look at the devil. Was he not a strong man? He was absolutely tied in ropes and left, left at the curb. That is, that is amazing. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver uh, any by his great strength. You think I've got the tank or I've got the jet or I've got the money or I've got the power or I've got the nuclear bombs? Or really? That's enough for you to think you're hot stuff? No. Either God is your God and you have hope or God is against you and you have terror forever, including now. 18 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him 
Do you see how comfortable that is? To those who fear him, those who are righteous, who are clean in Jesus' clothes, those people God's eyes are upon for mercy, upon them that hope in his mercy. That's who God gives his power to. That's who God gives his person to. That's the inheritance of the saints, to deliver their soul from death, to keep them alive in famine. Is that not what we hope for right now? What did God give me? Did he give me health and wealth? Are you serious? First of all, the only people that have that are either liars or people who just stole your money. There's, there's, he gave you eternal life. He gave you eternal life when you were his enemy. He took you from eternal death right now and gave you eternal life. That's what he did. A person who hopes in his mercy hopes, let me keep me alive in famine. Keep me alive in this world. Until I go to your house. That's what I want. Now look at, look at 20. I'd say 20 is the key verse in this chapter. It's, it's the pivot on this chapter works. 20 says our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul is in that eager anticipation. With your eyes on him. Looking for what he will give you. And as I look to him, I see who he is. And I see who he is. I'm enjoying him. And I lose track of myself. And I'll praise. And David said, I'll do much more than this. You think I'm not dignified? Oh, you ain't seen nothing. I will act way more undignified than you're seeing me today, Michael. That's his wife. Okay, we'll talk about her later. My goodness, you think I'm undignified? You ain't seen nothing yet. Why? Because I wait for him. And as I wait for him, I watch him. And as I watch for him, I'm enjoying who he is because he is mine. I'm his and he's mine. 21, for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. We trusted he delights us. As he delights us, we trust him. It is an overwhelming, never-ending river that comes out of your own heart. It's the river of life that will well up to be a spring of water unto eternal life. That's what happens, and it never glugs, it never dries up. It's always, and you're planted by that, and your tree always, pictures, 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 pictures. What else can you do? When you're talking about infinity, you're talking about perfection, you're talking about your maker, what can you do except have pictures? There's nothing you can say. 22, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us. According as we hope in thee. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice in you. We love you. We are reminded just who you are and how that you have prompted us to praise you for your, not to rev ourselves up, but to truly show ourselves who you are. That automatically the heart of a believer would, would reach up to touch your face. That's praise. Would you give us that ability? Would you give us what we can't have because we, we are incapable other than what you've done in the Holy Spirit through us? Would you fall on this congregation? Would you enliven us? Would you, would you thrill us? Would you motivate us? Would you give us your grace? Would you push us? Would you give us a prize to run towards? And that being yourself. We adore you in Jesus, we pray. Amen.